0: You good if we just jump right into this uh, week two of the Kingdom Come series. Um, so if you weren't here last week, this is your first time with us. We started a series called Kingdom Come. And um, what we're what we're asking is, like, what would it look like for the kingdom of God to come here? Um, last week we tried to give you—anybody here do jigsaw puzzles? Any jigsaw puzzle people? Wow, not many of you, actually. Um, Leslie actually mentioned this in in our healing class. I love this, this illustration, this visual when you do a puzzle, you typically want to get those, like I'm a four corners person, and then I get the edge pieces, like, you know, I also keep the box nearby so I can keep looking at the image and making sure, like, oh, that's got a lot of orange and reds or whatever, but once you get the frame done, that's kind of, that's a big first step, and so last week with this, this whole concept of the kingdom coming, we're like, the kingdom, and what does the kingdom look like, and what's the king look like, and it's just such a weird concept that I tried to give you some edges last week, right? We tried to make a frame. So here's just a couple of the statements that we took away from last week. This is the framework that we've got to keep in mind as we just kind of begin to build this picture of the kingdom over the next few weeks. Okay, so here's a few statements. God's will is to see his kingdom come here. Matthew 6.10, the Lord's Prayer. Remember Jesus, um, his disciples said, tell us how to pray. And so in that prayer, he said, pray your, your kingdom come, your will be done In Nebraska, as it is in heaven. Well, yes, Nebraska for sure, but also Frog Pond and Meisenheimer and Big Lick and Finger, which literally is about that big, right? Um, And Albemarle and Locust and Stanley County. Your kingdom come, your will be done here as it is in heaven. His, His will is to see the kingdom come here then we made these three statements. If it doesn't look like heaven, there's still work to do on earth. If it doesn't look like heaven, there's still work to do on earth. And I gave you these two statements, one about the authority of the kingdom, which says if it's not in heaven, it doesn't belong on earth. So we should be able to look at the picture of heaven. And when we're asking ourselves, wait, like, should people be sick? Well, here we might see sick people, but in heaven we'll see no sick people. So we can say to ourselves, well, if it's not in heaven and I see it here, what are we supposed to do about that? Well, the good news, and also maybe the hard news because we're still not quite sure what to do with it is the good news is that God already had an answer for that, and his answer was the church. And he said, as I was sent, I'm now sending you, and I give you my authority. So if you see something here on earth that's not in heaven, you, you can do something about that. And then we talked about the destiny of the kingdom. So we know what's in heaven shouldn't be here, but how many of you know that when you spot the difference and you start to do something about it, it can take a long time? We just prayed about that. I think we just sang a song about that, and we just prayed about that. But I will see the goodness of God in the land of the living. So what is the destiny of the kingdom? It's it's good. If it's not good, it's not over. So those are like our four sides of this puzzle of the kingdom. So as we're, as we're taking the next few weeks and we're talking about very specific things in the kingdom, I want us to make sure we keep those in mind, those four pieces, those four edges in mind, because that's kind of the, the fence, the boundaries, the parameters. We want to stay inside of that while we're figuring all this out. Does that make sense? Okay, probably not, but let's just roll with it. So this morning, we're going to start with the first four letters of the word kingdom. Okay, this is the first, the first thing we're going to talk about. When we're thinking about the kingdom, we're going to talk about a king. Right, Because there's no kingdom without a king, yes? It's not a hard question at all, right? So uh, every kingdom has a king. The kingdom of heaven is no different. But the king of that kingdom is like no other king. Like Revelation 19.16, here's what it says. On his robe and on his thigh, he has this name written. Now, depending on what translation you have, because that makes it sound like he has a robe and then maybe on the robe are these words, or it's possible that Jesus has a tat on his thigh, right? It's possible, and and if he does, his tattoo says "King of Kings" and "Lord of Lords," right? No regrets. All right. Jesus is the King of the Kingdom, so listen. We can't talk about the Kingdom. Without starting with the king. And so this morning, I just want to answer two questions. Okay, can we do that? Two questions? Is Jesus the king? And if he is, what kind of king is he? Okay, that's all we're going to take care of this morning. We're going to talk about the king. Is Jesus the king, the king? And if he is, and I believe that he is. So full disclosure, I'm a little biased. I do believe that he is the king. Okay, so if he is the king, what kind of king is he? Why is that important? Because to truly understand what a kingdom is like, the culture and the values of that kingdom, you've got to look at the king. He sets the tone. The kingdom starts with the king and everything in that kingdom flows from the king. So here's the first question. Is Jesus the king? Um, so we're gonna be in Luke chapter four and we're gonna take a peek at the first, the first words that Jesus ever really spoke publicly. because this is about his first like one of his first messages, and Jesus in his first message, guess what his answer to that question was? The answer, the options are yes, no, or keep preaching because I'm not sure. Yes, he he was he didn't beat around the bush. His answer to that question was yes. Am I the King? Oh, you better believe it. Let's just read it in scripture. Um, Luke chapter four. Um, verse, verse 16. So, he went to Nazareth where he had been brought up. How many of you, well, I was going to say, how many of you are, are here visiting from out of town, but you grew up here? And that's a dumb question because, like, you actually live here. But I moved away from Albemarle for 10 years. And I got to say, best 10 years of my life, right? I mean, at the time, at the time, because, like, um, where are my high school teenage students? Um, you're just like, Am I understating this at all when I say, like, your entire philosophy is, I can't wait to get out of this place, right? I mean, it's like your whole, your whole goal is, like, kingdom's going to come, and I'm out, right? I'm getting out of here. I'll tomorrow. see ya. I mean, I, I grew up here. I mean, all you talked about in high school was how you were gonna, how far you were going to go, right? And so at the time of my life, the best 10 years of my life were when I was gone. And then God, like only God can do, reached into where I was so very happy and grabbed me and dragged me back here to this place. And it was like, oh, God, what are you doing? I'm so glad now. I mean, I would, I, I'm so glad to be here. I mean, the plans that he had just blow my mind. But the reason I didn't want to come back is because this is where I was brought up. So I still run into people that say, oh, you're Paul Jenkins. I knew you. Oh, I don't want you to knew me. I want you to know me, right? I know that's not good English, but you know what I'm saying. Jesus went back to where he'd been brought up. And we're not going to read all of this, but if you go home and read the whole story, what you're going to find is after he makes the statements that he makes and everybody's like, yay, they then try to kill him. Now, if that's not your hometown, nothing is, right? They tried to kill him. I guess Anyway, so... He went to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And on the Sabbath day, he went to the synagogue. I'm just going to throw this out here. As was his custom, Jesus went to church, y'all. I get it. I'm a pastor. I read all the trends. And I know that like really, really, really committed Christians go to church like once or twice a month. Jesus, this was his custom. He went to the synagogue. He did it all the time. I'm Just saying. He stood up to read, verse 17. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, The spirit of the Lord is on me because he's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he began by saying to them, today, everybody say today. today. Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. What is Jesus saying? He's saying that this is talking about a king and I'm him. He didn't bat an eye. He didn't lower his voice. He didn't whisper it to his neighbor. He didn't try to get all, he didn't just wear a T-shirt. He said today, the scripture that talks about a coming king and a coming Messiah, today, y'all, is fulfilled. In your hearing, here's what Jesus was saying if you're in the synagogue right now and you're hearing me read this prophecy, in your hearing, you are the blessed ones because you're here on the day that everybody finds out that I'm that king. So Jesus said he's the king. He said he's the Messiah. He said he's the promised one. So we're just going to ask this simple question, was he lying? And I know none of you want to ask that question because, like, if you, if you even ask it, Jesus, were you lying? You're like, well, there's a big pile of ashes where Wendy was sitting, right? It's like crazy. There's two eyes just bugging out looking at people. It's weird. Well, nobody wants to ask that out loud, so I'm going to ask it for you, okay? Was Jesus really the king? Now, I, as a youth pastor, used to come up with these visual illustrations to help people understand, like, the probability of Jesus actually being the Messiah, and I've used it all my life. I've used it my entire ministry career, so what, there's 61 prophecies about the Messiah, and so somebody's asked the question, what are the odds of one man fulfilling all 61 of those prophecies? And I couldn't even begin to tell you. There's smarter people in the world than I am. How, how many zeros you have to have. But what I did find was one man has said it's mathematically impossible for somebody, one man, to fulfill all 61 of those prophecies. Now, I, I know that one man did. His name's Jesus. And this man said, to, in order the chances of one man... Fulfilling all 61 is one in, and then you have to say the word trillion 13 times. I'm, blown, I'm lost at trillion, right? I mean, that's a lot of trillions. It's a lot. It's very small odds. Listen, we convict people in court of laws on DNA samples that have less astounding odds than that. So can we just, what I used to do is instead of talking about 61 prophecies, can we just talk about what if somebody fulfilled 8 What would be the probability of one man fulfilling eight of those prophecies? Now, again, we're not going to read eight prophecies, but if you just go back and just research messianic prophecies, what you'll find is that these were all written over hundreds of years. This isn't like me and you sitting down in the same room, all of us, and writing at the exact same time and thinking that they might actually correlate and come together. These are people that were living and wrote, and then they died, and years later somebody else God used them to write, and they died, and they're different, different countries, different places, and they're fulfilled hundreds and hundreds of years later. Things like the Messiah will come in riding on a donkey. Who writes something like that? Somebody being inspired by the Holy Spirit. And then centuries later, Jesus rode in on a donkey, right? Things like a virgin will give birth, and then centuries later, Mary gets birth. If you just took eight of those, and here's what I used to tell students. The probability that one man could fulfill just eight is if you took a bunch of quarters and filled the state of Texas two feet deep with those quarters, took a marker and marked an X on one of those quarters, threw it in there, stirred up the entire state full of two feet deep quarters, blindfolded one man and told him or her, a woman, they could walk as far as they wanted, east, south, west, north, whatever, as far as they want, for as long as they want, but they could only be down one time and pick up one quarter, and the likelihood that they would pick up that quarter is the same probability that one man would fulfill eight prophecies. But guess what I found out this week? I've been wrong my whole life. I have misled teenagers. Because that's not true. Because somebody who's like a mathematics professor Let me give you his name so you can Google it and know that it's really true. Peter Stoner. (laughs) If you're going to teach mathematics in a college setting, you need to have the last name Stoner. Can I get an amen? amen? Amen. Not that we know anything about it. We've just read about it, correct? So Peter Stoner He had his students, 600 students, calculate the odds. I'm reading this because I want to make sure I get this right. Calculate the odds of one man fulfilling all eight prophecies, the ones, eight of the the 61, and here's what he found out. The the likelihood is one in one, one in 10 to the 21st power. Am I getting this right? That means that's a one with 21 zeros behind it, correct? I don't even know what the word is for that. A lot, yeah, Google. Um, So you can't wrap your brain around that. So here's what he said. I thought he was going to tell me the quarters in Texas analogy, but like I told you, I got it wrong. Check this out. To illustrate that number, a one with 21 zeros behind it, to illustrate that number, Stoner gave the following example. I still can't believe his name is Stoner, but whatever. He said, first... Blanket the entire earth land mass with silver dollars 120 feet high. Are you with me? The entire land mass with silver dollars 120 feet high. Second, specifically mark one of those dollars and randomly bury it. Third, ask a person to travel the earth blindfolded and select the marked dollar from the trillions of other dollars. The likelihood that somebody could do that is the same likelihood that one person could fulfill eight of the 61. So you could begin to see all 61, y'all. Is Jesus the king? No doubt about it. No doubt about it. Just not even, not even talking spiritually, just from a mathematical probability standpoint, he is the king, y'all. He is the Messiah. He is the promised one. Absolutely no doubt about it, which means we've got to understand what kind of king he is. So if we're going to understand this kingdom that has come, is coming, will come, we've got to understand this king. What kind of king is Jesus? So Jesus answers the question again himself um, because he quotes in his, in this message, we just read, it, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. Now, what I want you to do is I want you to keep your finger in Luke, and I want you to flip back to Isaiah 61 because he's quoting from Isaiah 61. Remember we read that? They handed him the scroll from Isaiah. By the way, Google this and just check it out for yourself. But I love God. I love the way that God works. Do you know that back in the day when Jesus was reading this, that they more than likely had a three-year reading plan in the synagogue? that the scroll that was handed to him that day, that day. We're talking about probabilities, right? What is the likelihood that this would even happen? The scroll that was handed to him that day, he didn't pick it. He was, it was already determined that that would be read. They had a three-year reading plan. And so on the day that Jesus stands up to read, he's handed the scroll from Isaiah, where this prophecy is that we're getting ready to read, and he reads it. Is he the king? You better believe it. Is all this orchestrated? Absolutely. What kind of king is Jesus? Here's what he reads from Isaiah 61. The spirit of the Lord is on me, verse 1, because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor, and he has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor And the day of vengeance of our God to comfort all who mourn. What kind of king is Jesus? He's not the kind of king that sits on a big, old, fancy throne and screams out truth. He's the kind of king who came near us. Don't answer this out loud, or at least if you do, don't point to the person that you're thinking of. But do y'all know people that talk a lot? No matter what I said, people were still pointing out their neighbors. It's crazy. They were like, y- yeah, yeah, I do. I think it's in 1 Corinthians four twenty. Um it says that the kingdom of God is not a kingdom. It's not a, a kingdom of talk, but of power. It's not just a kingdom of words, but of power. What I love about Jesus is in in Isaiah, he didn't. It didn't just describe a man who will say things. It's got proclaiming there a couple of times. But what you'll see is Jesus said that I've been anointed to say three things, and then do three things. I love this. This so. Why is this important? Everybody say why. Because we don't want to be a church that just talks. The kingdom is not a kingdom about just talking. Getting in a room and talking and then never doing anything about it. That's not the kind of king that Jesus is. Now, you've got a boss like that, probably. Or you've had a boss like that. You've served people, served people, (laughs) that told you what to do and would never lift a finger to do anything. And so if you think that's the kind of king Jesus is, I'm with you. Let's chunk the whole thing and not follow him. I don't, I've, I don't need people like that in my life. But he's a servant king. More about that in the coming weeks. He's the kind of king who doesn't just tell you what you should do. He comes close and helps you. So listen, three things that, he, that he's going to say. He's going to proclaim good news. He's going to proclaim freedom. And he's going to proclaim favor. Yes, in my head, Every time I read that Jesus is going to proclaim freedom, I see Mel Gibson every single time. Don't you? Is that, is that disrespectful to say about Jesus? I don't even know. But they both would have had long hair. And I just see Mel Gibson going, freedom. I mean, I just see it, right? It's crazy. So that's what he's going to say. Good news, freedom, and favor. But check this out. So I'm going to proclaim good news and bind up the broken. Now, I got to thinking about this. He didn't say heal them. Now, I just finished the healing class, right? And so he didn't say he was going to heal them. Now, we know that it's God's will to heal people, but he didn't say that. Well, I'm here to proclaim good news and heal all the broken. He said, I'm going to bind up the broken. And then I got to thinking about rescue workers. Like, they don't usually really fix people. They just find them. And the people, like, are always so thankful to be found. They're not better. They're just not alone. Good news to somebody who's broken is I see you. I got you. And we're going to figure this out together. So if you're here this morning and you're brokenhearted, you have a king who sees you. He sees where you are. He came to proclaim freedom and release the prisoners. Now check this out. I've never been in jail. Some of you are not sure what you should do with that, but it's true. I've never been in jail. I'm not saying I maybe should never have been in jail, but I've never been in jail. Can you imagine being a prisoner and just hearing somebody tell you about freedom? I mean, like, if you could get your fingers through the bar, wouldn't you just want to punch them? Why do you keep talking about freedom? I'm not free! I'm not free! But that's not the kind of King Jesus is either. He came to proclaim freedom and release the prisoners. Like He's not just talking about it. He's going to do it. I'm not just here saying, "He, hey, y'all, y'all come to Jesus. You, you, man, you could be free. No, you, you will be free. You come to Jesus, you will be free. Because that's why he came. That's the kind of king that he is. To proclaim favor and comfort the morning. So, again, it's not just, I'm telling you this good stuff, and, you know, I'm sorry you don't have it. Mm, too bad. He's proclaiming it, and then he's doing it. I love that. He's not the bad boss that all of us have experienced. He's a good father. He's a good king. So, get a couple of things. He doesn't just proclaim good news from way off. He actually comes near to us. The very incarnation was a sign that the kingdom is near. The fact that God didn't shout from his throne, y'all get better now, but became one of us to show us what to do. The kingdom is near because the king came. Listen, Matthew 4:17. Jesus preached. From that time on, Jesus began to preach, "Repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near." So Jesus preached that the kingdom was near, and then Matthew 10:7. When he sent his disciples out, he said, as you go, proclaim this message. The kingdom of heaven has come where? Near. Like this was his entire ministry. The king is here. He's here. Not a king. The king. Like Jesus is standing here on this platform in front of you and he's saying, I am the only way. You're like, no, no, I don't know about that, man. I'm not sure I can really even trust you. That's Stanley County math, people. Come on. Real math is, dude, one man fulfilling eight prophecies. The earth filled with enough silver dollars to be 120 feet deep. One man picking up one mark. That's the same odds. Are you kidding me? That's eight. Jesus fulfilled 61. When he says, I am the king, there's no doubt about it. And when he says, I am a good king. I have come to proclaim good things and then do them for you. I have not just come to tell you about a kingdom, but to bring the kingdom to you. Well, the only question left is what will we do with that? What will we do with a king like that? It's been less than a month since um, this whole concept of the kingdom was played out in, t- in front of the entire world. Did you know that? Like less than a month ago, the entire world was glued to the internet and their TVs, watching the gospel be played out in front of them. You're like, uh, I think I must have missed that. No, you just made make the connection. Didn't you hear something about 12 soccer players and a coach that were trapped in a cave? And what we didn't watch was a bunch of rescue workers figure out where they were and what the problem was and then stand off at a distance and go, we'll see you on the other side. Whenever you can get out of that mess you're in, we'll be here cheering you on, baby. You can do it. You are good. Come on, just dig a little harder. If, if they had done that, We all would have bought tickets to Thailand to beat them up because that's not what rescue workers do. Have you ever noticed this? We treat God like that. We just want God to stay a little far away from us and tell us how to fix the mess we're in. Instead of admitting, we can't get out. And our only hope is that somebody breaks through this mess I'm in and shows me how to get out. So, so I'll attend church, Paul. I'll even give you two Sundays a month. But only because I don't fall asleep. But if you start making me fall asleep, Paul, I'm dropping back to one. We'll give God some time. But we just want to keep him at arm's length. And I'm just here to be the person that tells you the truth. That's not how the king operates. Not because he's a jerk. Not because he wants to get up all in your business. But because he knows that you and I, left to ourselves, will be trapped in a cave of sin with no way out. And you can come to church and you'll be encouraged for sure But if you just want to keep him at arm's length, he's like, that's not what I came to do. I mean, if I was just a king that came to only proclaim good news, he would do that. But he didn't come to say, guess what? You can do it. He came because you couldn't do it. And he said, I'll do it for you. So this morning, I I want you to think this through. The kingdom is coming, right? Do you know why the kingdom can come? Because the king came. That's why. The kingdom can come because the king came. Listen, say it this way. The kingdom is here because the king came near. Everywhere Jesus walked, the kingdom was. Everywhere he went, the kingdom was. He didn't just come to, to, to show us Something or just to say something, but to do all of that, He came to tell us good news and then achieve it for us. Man, Jesus was anointed to bring the kingdom. Now, what that looks like for us here today is we've just got to decide, are we following that king, right? Are we really following that king? Or are we just kind of doing that church thing? which is just like that soccer team staying in a cave and having them just yell good things at them every now and then. But don't come rescue me because I'll get myself out. You have the opportunity today to allow a king to rescue you. And here's why that's so important. Y'all good if I just say the word yahoo about the disciples? Because in the coming weeks what we're going to find is Jesus is going to turn to these yahoos who mess everything up, and who were in a cave and couldn't get out, and he rescued them, and he's going to turn to them and say stuff like this, "Uh, dude, the kingdom is in you, and it's supposed to be moving through you. He's going to look at us. You know why he wants to get us out of the cave? Because he wants the kingdom to spread through us. He's going to change our city through you. And you, and you, maybe through me, right? I'm really confident about y'all, right? He's going to change our city through us because the kingdom comes near us, and then it's in us, and then it's going to flow through us to everything around us. That's the way the kingdom comes. So would you this morning would you close your eyes just I want you to, I want you to really have some privacy to think through the king I, I can't make a more compelling case for Jesus being the Messiah. And if you're a, if you're a math nerd then you're already like, dude, that thing about that 120 feet and that's crazy like a one with 21 zeros. You already get it from a mathematical standpoint, but that's just the head, right? Now we're talking about the heart. Do I want to follow a king like that? I get it, Paul. He's the king. He's the Messiah. I get it. And when he says he's the only way, literally he's the only way. But are you willing to bow your knee to that? Are you willing to trust your life to that? To a king like that. And and all I can tell you is what I love about Isaiah 61 is that it's not a picture of a jerk. He's just not that kind of a king. He's not dictator Jesus. He's a good king. He's kind. He's compassionate. His mercy is never ending. He loves you. And he loves you enough to get you out of where you are. There's a couple of people in this room that this is going to apply to. Some of you are here and you've never given your heart to Jesus because you've never really understood why you needed to. Can I just remind you that you're going to leave this service and you're going to go back out into your car and you're going to start googling solutions to get out of the mess your life is. And I just told you what the solution is. It's Jesus. You don't need to google anymore. He's the solution. And some of you in this room, you need to make that decision for the first time today. Give your life to Jesus Christ. Trust him to be your king. And then there are some of us in the room, we love Jesus. I know that we do. But, But we start talking about that soccer team in the cave and that illustration of how sometimes that's how we treat God. Like we're in our mess, but we just want him to stay at arm's length. We don't bring him into the mess. We just want him to stay out there and shout good, nice things to us. Be a good, loving father. Don't see me in my mess. And can I be honest? Sometimes in church, that's the trap we fall into. We stop really bringing who we really are to God. As if somehow we have to impress him. And he already knows where we are. So if you're here, you love Jesus. You've been following him for years. It doesn't matter. And we still sometimes need to, we just need to bow that knee to the king and thank him that he knows us and he loves us and he sees right where we are. And he comes to proclaim mercy, and freedom, and good news. And then he actually binds up our wounds. He actually releases us from prison. He actually comforts us as we mourn. So I'm just going to ask you to respond to that this morning. I'm not trying to convince you. I just want to be so clear that you have a king who wants you. Not to make you serve him, but so that you can love him the way he loves you. And if that's you this morning, would you just, would you just raise your hand and say, that you just describe me, that's where I am either because I've never followed Jesus or you just, I'm following him now and I just, I need the king. Thank you so much. Thank you. Can we just respond? Just um, I'm just going to have them sing a little bit. and I just want to open up the altars. And if you're here and you just want to come and spend time with the king, just come on. And then when we're done, we'll pray and Go eat some lunch. But for right now, can we just spend some time with the king? One, fully confident that he is who he says he is. Man, he's the Lord. He is the Messiah. You don't have to have any doubt about who he is. And in two, full of confidence that he's a king, a gentle king who loves us and will not break us. He doesn't mock us in our pain. He loves us and comforts us in it. So, as we begin to sing, if you just want to spend some time with the king, and this altar is open, you come on.